Jeremy, did you have any basic structure outline? No. We were just ready to get No, I'm going to let Sam cook. So, well, yeah, do you like that? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Thank you. I feel like my name has been stolen, though. Oh, no. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I gotta say, feeling kind of disappointed, guys. Oh no, what did I do? It's not you. It's it's more me, really. See, I finally went and checked out the band The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones while researching this episode and was very let down to find out that they are not a Bruce Springsteen cover band, as I'd always assumed. <laughs> that the impression that you got was that they were a oh. Bruce Springsteen cover band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doesn't everybody think that at one point? Da, 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 da. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. Thank you. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I am uh, also going a band direction here. I just wanted to tell you guys. I'm really into Earth's very early stuff. Mm. You know, the band Earth? Yeah, yeah. You like that heavy drone. Yeah, but I like their like late 60s New Jersey Shore kind of sound. Mm. Are you are you thinking of Manfred Mann's Earth Band? No. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen was in a band called Earth in the late 60s. Whoa. Yeah. And, and they've just been going ever since. <laughs> yeah. I I did some internet research. And... Lineup changes, stylistic changes over the years, but they keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. The things you learn here on I'd Buy That for a Dollar. So informative, <laughs> so accurate. I am co-host Peter Cook, and I'm also a bit disappointed. Well, I'm just in general down because I'm running a little low on funds right now, guys. You need some money. I got you, Peter. I, oh, well, thank you. I'm a little cleaned out at the moment. I'm I'm feeling the pinch. I tried selling my heart to the hard girls over on Easy Street, but they said, Petey, it falls apart so easy, and you know hearts these days are cheap. Oh. Yeah. Brutal. So you're just not getting that top dollar for your heart these days. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Oh. Joining us today... A sad sax here, and I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> is a former WFMU DJ and sound artist. Welcome to I'd buy that for a dollar, Samantha Simmons. Hi, thanks for having me. So good to have you here. Yeah, I like the uh, intro that you guys gave, uh, talking about looking up indie bands that could have been influenced by Bruce Springsteen because I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there has to be so many. They're called the Hold Study. Yeah, and Ooh. the National and yeah, all these <laughs> East Coast guys. I know U.S. girls. Meg Remy, she's a really big Bruce Springsteen fan, and Crooked Fingers. Are they from New Jersey? U.S. girls. Uh, she is an expat from the states, now based out of Canada. Ah, uh, okay. 
wrong assumption on my part. It's okay. okay. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm here to talk about the Bruce Springsteen album on the I'd Buy That for a Dollar podcast uh, with these guys. Um, The Bruce Springsteen album, The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle, uh, his sophomore record. Yeah, probably the only Bruce Springsteen record we could credibly do and say that it's overlooked because it is. It is so overlooked. I yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it. Well, so overlooked that Sean and Jeremy, who are the big Bruce heads on this podcast, weren't really familiar with it. Correct? <laughs> Only minorly. Yeah. <laughs> oh no way! I, I have a I have a whole story associated with that, so we'll get into that later. Okay. Well, let's play a song first. What song would you like to introduce the people to this overlooked classic with? I think we should start with the first track, the E Street Shuffle. All right, we'll start there. E Street Shuffle, side A, track one. love that track because it just transports me to being 16 and growing up on the east coast and being on the boardwalk and yeah i think this intro track just like really places you in that setting and i also i feel that on this album he's still idolizing his hometown and it's definitely like the precursor to born to run and i feel like Rosalita is the track that kind of introduces Born to Run um, and everything else on this album is 
a little bit different and has kind of a different tone than Born to Run. And you can still hear that he's trying uh, and experimenting and he doesn't always nail it. But yeah, this track is kind of the intro to our journey to Asbury Park in the summer and the boardwalk. Yeah, when that track kicks in, it's just so funky. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's when he was still wearing the hat, right? (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know the hat. Like his beanie that he would wear, and then he stopped wearing, like he got a little more tough on Born to Run, but I think this was still his beanie days. Interesting. Uh, Peter and Jeremy, I'm sending you a picture of the beanie in the chat. (laughs) You guys didn't do your beanie research? (laughs) No. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's like a dock worker look. Yeah. Yeah. It makes him look considerably less tough. And really beachy. Yeah. Which makes sense. He doesn't have the leather jacket and the rolled up white t-shirt. He he definitely rebranded after... This album yeah, shaved off a lot of the experimentation that surprised me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Samantha before the show and described this as like his indie record. <laughs> he has like, like more than half the songs are over seven minutes long. Yeah. These like sprawling songs that kind of go in a lot of different places. Lyrically, it's brilliant over and over, like great storytelling, mm-hmm. but there's just not those like anthemic hooks really that, you know, Bruce Springsteen is known for and you kind of expect in like popular rock music. Exactly. I think people know him so much as Born in the USA and this album has like 0% of Born in the USA on it. And that's why I think it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, 11 years before Born in the USA. He had a long way to go before developing that sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is 73, right? This is his second album of 73 and of his career. <laughs> yeah. I think even though this album is like so much more funky than Nebraska, I would maybe relate this to Nebraska in the way that it's kind of a really different one for Springsteen. And... Even the he has the really somber track on this uh, Wild Billy's Circus story, and I think at the the end he says, "All aboard Nebraska's our next stop." And even though Nebraska doesn't come until a decade later, I kind of think I I really like that kind of foreshadowing. And maybe I'm digging too deep and <laughs> searching for things that aren't there, but I find it interesting. Yeah, I, I heard that today while while re-listening to the record. I was like, "Ooh, Nebraska." Yeah, he's got places to go. <laughs> it's the saddest kind of lo-fi track uh, on this album as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm one of those predictable people that's mostly listened to Nebraska when it comes to Springsteen. These these guys scoff at me constantly for that. For no- <laughs> but, listening to Nebraska? Oh, or for not listening to? Yeah, for for that being the one. Oh, I'm one of, got yeah, you. Like the, yeah, and that's yeah. one that everyone seems to like. Yeah, that's like the that's like the next level of uh, of like a music lover trope. Like the beginner level is you used to hear all the time, like oh, I like everything except rap and country. And then there's the people like, well, I like Bruce Springsteen, but only Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You got to dig deeper than that, guys. (laughs) No, no. For the for the record, I like Tunnel of Love and the River, and I've recently become acquainted with 
darkness at the edge of town. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard darkness on the edge of town, though? It's way better than darkness at the edge of town. I'm not fully familiar with it yet. <laughs> it's still <laughs> relatively new to me. <laughs> I never got so into darkness. I tried to listen to it once on a bus and with a friend, and we were both like, okay, let's both listen to the whole album, and then we'll talk about it after. And we were both like, eh. But I know a lot of people, that's their favorite. And also, this was maybe 10 years ago, so I think I should give it another try. I definitely think you should. That okay. <laughs> up there, my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Okay. Yeah, that's, it's my favorite as well, Darkness. Whoa, okay. All right. I have to give it another try. I mean, yeah. I, I also, I love Born to Run. I guess it's just so, that's the one that really put him on the map. And it's so different than this one. Like, I would say Jungle Land on Born to Run has echoes yeah. of this album in the narrative and the really long story and the length. It's almost 10 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, how did you become familiar with this one, Samantha? My mom had a tape of it and uh, we would listen to it in the car. Okay, so you grew up with it. I grew up with it, yeah. So I think I heard it when I was maybe seven. And interestingly, this is the one that she really liked. Like, she never played Nebraska or Born to Run. So I guess this is the Bruce that I was introduced to as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I grew up on, you know, classic rock radio Bruce, all the hits. Yeah. And then I think when I was like early high school, somebody like explained to me how Born in the USA is actually an anti-war song and not a patriotic song. Yeah. Because I was like, that song sucks. And they were like, no. <laughs> Have you ever heard the demo of it? Yeah. It's more like in the Nebraska style. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I haven't heard the version. demo. I want to hear that. Oh, it's it's like fully Nebraska, like crazy echoey sound. Oh, yeah. wow. Cool. Dark vibes. Which you guys know what New York electro punk band was an inspiration on oh, some yeah. of Nebraska? Suicide. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. You have you. We all heard his version of Bruce's version of Dream Baby Dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're already just kind of like pouring <laughs> just, over the boss here. All in <laughs> it was bound to happen. We should mention that we have talked about doing a Bruce episode for a long time. There's there's a lot to go over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess he he covers a lot of areas. Nebraska also. Um, has this feel of a Western, isn't it? What's the movie, the Terrence Malick film? Badlands. Badlands, yeah. It's based on the story of Badlands, no? Yeah, it is. As And it's funny because also Darkness, yeah, Darkness on the Edge of Town was going to be called Badlands originally. So it's like multiple <laughs> albums that he's put out with some inspiration. Yeah, and that. The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle is based on... A movie, The Wild, The Innocent. Um, uh, I can't re remember the rest of the title, but yeah, also. Isn't it just The Wild and The Innocent? Maybe, maybe that's and what the, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this idea of a narrative. And in a way, this whole album kind of feels like a, a musical to me. And there's, you hear like West Side Story influences, and he names, oh, yeah, like, there's totally. all these characters. Uh, Puerto Rican Jane and Spanish Johnny and Madame Marie, the fortune teller. 
Oh, that Madame Marie, every time he mentions her, it draws this memory out of me of I visited Sean out in Philly and we went out to Asbury Park and walked the boardwalk and played in the pinball museum there and took in the full Bruce vibes. And yeah, we saw the Madame Marie little psychic shack there on the boardwalk. It was uh, very cool to see the thing in person. Mm -hmm. Was she there? No, it was like by appointment only. Oh. I was was so hyped to get my my fortune read. And then, yeah. Next time. You still got to see the building, though. (laughs) The location. Got to see the building. (laughs) I, I love what you said about this being like almost like a stage play or like it's, it's very visual, you know, you really can feel the weight of this record. Like the the lyrics and everything transport you, even if there isn't the nostalgic association, like this is a real storytellers album. You can just lose yourself in the characters and all the images he's describing. Yeah. Sometimes I feel that maybe I personally relate to it so much, like growing up on the East coast and, um, going to the beach and spending a lot of time as a teenager on the boardwalk. And like, as I mentioned, I feel like this album kind of transports you there. So I don't know if it's nostalgic for me in that way too, or if you guys can relate to that, or I don't know if you guys are from the East coast or or not, or where you're from. (laughs) I'm East coast now, but we're all originally from Michigan. We're all Midwesterners. So speak for yourself, Sean. I'm from Vermont originally. That's true. I always forget (laughs) Vermont boy. (laughs) How does that resonate with you? Vermont is very far from uh, New Jersey in, in a lot of ways, even so, and I was only five when we moved to Michigan. So I am very much a Midwesterner. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm guessing there, you know, anyone I know who is more you know, within a certain radius of the area represented by the boss, it is very personalized to them, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, for sure with his music. I think people feel that way. But I think it resonates in the Midwest really well, too, because so many of the towns in the Midwest are living in the shadows of dilapidated factories, just like many spots on the East Coast. So that kind of image that he created of being, you know, the working man's poet kind of thing really, I think, resonates in the Midwest just as well sometimes. Ooh, working man's poet. I like that. Yeah. Heartland Rock. Wait, say it again? Heartland Rock. That was That's the, the tag that he got, you know, that he was given. Uh, the track that he has said uh, really describes like any beach town or boardwalk is 4th of July, Asbury Park appropriately titled Ooh, we should play that next yeah yeah fourth of july asbury park subtitled sandy (laughs) it's going epic even on the song titles that is side a track two Forcing a light 
And all those stony faces left stranded on this warm July Down in the time the circuits for a switch Played lovers so fast, so shiny, so sharp As the wizards played down on pinball way On the boardwalk way past dark And the boys from the casino dance with their shirts open Like Latin lovers on the shore Chasing all them silly New York virgins by the score I don't think it's any secret that when Springsteen was first on the scene, a lot of people were touting him as the next Bob Dylan. But boy, you can hear it in some of his delivery and lyrics on this album, that song in particular. Yeah. Yeah, the sprawling verses. And he's kind of a... uh... Yeah, kind of how we mentioned a working class poet. It doesn't have quite as abstract, high-minded things going on as Dylan. It's a little more accessible, but like every bit is sophisticated and good. I think it's less rappy than Dylan and a lot more slowed down, like kind of like a slowed down subterranean homesick blues and less political. (laughs) Well, sometimes. Bruce gets pretty political later. Not not so much on this record. Not so much on this record. Maybe. Mm, no, I don't hear it so much on this record. <laughs> but later for sure. I agree. <laughs> well, we mentioned earlier that both Jeremy and Sean are big boss fans. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that came about, Sean or Jeremy? I would love to talk about that. For the longest time, I had the kind of uh, more stereotypical opinion of Bruce, where I was just familiar with the radio hits and thought of him as just kind of a generic, maybe a little too macho hit songwriting guy that just had no appeal to me at all. And then eventually learned that like, oh, the hipsters really like Nebraska. Listen to that. Like, yes, this is good. And then... As Peter and I started getting obsessed with this idea of finding the good records in an artist catalog who most people just write off entirely. And I remember Bruce being kind of an early one for me. I was like, you know, there's got to be a good Bruce record aside from Nebraska. And I'd forgotten about this experience up until getting ready for this episode. But this was the record that officially made Bruce Springsteen click for me. 
And it was really that first song, the E Street Shuffle. I mean, as, as you guys know, I've been steadily getting further and further away from listening to rock music for like the last 10, 15 years at this point. And that song was just funky enough, had that clavinet in it. And then once the gang vocals came in, I was just like, this is, this is the boss for me. Like, I love this. And then by the time the second song came on 4th of July, Asbury Park, parentheses, Sandy, it's just like, it all made sense to me now, like understanding where he was coming from and some of the soul influence on the music and the poetry side of it. And then hearing these softer songs, I was like, wow, there's like a sensitivity and a vulnerability to this music that I never realized existed before. And then the poetry of it and the imagery, and it just all clicked all at the same time. But what's interesting is like, since then having that experience with this record, I started moving throughout his catalog. And as I said, darkness on the edge of town became my favorite from 78. So that's one that I go to more frequently, or I got really into born to run. And then I got really into born in the USA and, the river and all that and i hadn't been going back to this record very much but once i put it on it's just like holy yeah like th this was <laughs> that whole moment i remembered the whole thing it was great oh cool so you were familiar but you had forgotten yourself yeah yeah i like the way you describe that i also think that there's really beautiful imagery on this album and he kind of gives so much uh and it sounds really honest mm -hmm. he's really going for it yeah, I mean, I think he and what I like about this, you hear the trying and I don't think you hear that so much on Born to Run because Born to Run is where he like really nails it. But like Incident on 57th Street, the last track, I think there are misses <laughs> in that track and maybe he goes for it too much at points uh, where it sounds like a little bit corny. But mm -hmm. the reason I like this record so much is that you can hear some of that like experimenting and trying and like failing, but also really killing it. And I think that's why I like early records so much. I think the other thing that really helped it click for me is I'd become a big Tom Waits fan before listening to Bruce again. So some of the same things I like about Tom Waits connected with me with Bruce, they're both very image based and there's both storytellers from a perspective that maybe wasn't being shared quite as often in the music industry aside from artists like bob dylan but as we mm -hmm. said even then there's some big differences i think you can also hear the van morrison uh, astral weeks influence on this and i was listening to um cypress avenue next to this song and i really hear so many similarities like in the storytelling and the quietness and uh, I guess Van Morrison's version of Belfast. Yeah, that's a, a really good comparison, definitely. And I guess Madame George as well has all that imagery uh, and like the line, the click and clacking of the high heeled shoes and then Bruce Springsteen uh, on on this track has so many like really descriptive lines that really put you in a place. And they're both idolizing their hometown. Ooh, yeah. That's a, a Bruce classic move. <laughs> idolizing it and kind of, he was kind of the original like pop punk, like, I gotta get out of this town. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> um, well, should you guys want to hear a little bio on Bruce? Mm -hmm. We're only going to be able to like scratch the bare minimums here, but we'll cover some of it. Yeah, well, I think we're all officially fans here, so none of us need convincing. You don't have to go too deep into the bio. 
Maybe we yeah. should have gotten someone who wasn't a fan so that we we could argue. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Try and convince him. Well, I well, I didn't know a, a lot about his upbringing, so hearing a little bit about his childhood made some things click. So let me cover a little of that. Bruce Frederick Joseph, the boss, Springsteen, was born September 23rd, 1949 in Long Branch, New Jersey, uh, to a Catholic family. He had two younger sisters. He described it as working class, but also in his biography describes like the walls of his house like crumbling, literally, and they didn't have hot water when he was a child. So he's like poor working class uh, growing up in New Jersey. And a lot of that had to do with his family. His mother was a secretary and made the money for the family. And his father, uh, they would later find out, uh, suffered from schizophrenia and was just jumping job to job here and there and was going through long bouts of not working. I think Bruce said, like, his father said maybe a hundred words to him through his childhood. Mm, really disconnected. Yeah, like, super disconnected, and I'm sure shaped a lot of what Bruce would become, because he, I mean, he had, like, no boundaries as a child, it sounded like. He could be out as late as he wanted, go out and do whatever. You know, his mom was too busy to notice, and his dad was just not even in the same reality so it sounds great to all of us who had strict upbringings and had to be back home by a certain time but in, in the end not always a great thing to have that much freedom yeah i think it really shaped his he tries to put order to chaos i feel like and yeah i don't know one of the things about bruce's music that kind of touches me is it has that darkness to it but it's not like reveling in it or celebrating it. It's like trying to blast out of it. And it feels earnest and not like someone trying to make a mystique about themselves. Some, it's like someone who's actually lived it and knows they want out of that. Yeah, his music always sounds uh, quite honest. Yeah. Yeah, he... Uh... I guess was inspired by Elvis when he saw him on TV at age seven and got a guitar and then was re-inspired by the Beatles later. That all sounded like very typical, but I guess also, you know, back then people were exposed to whatever was on the TV. So, Yeah, and I don't think he's ever hidden his love for early rock and roll in his music. No. <laughs> no. And he... Went to Catholic school where he would pretty much constantly get in trouble. There's like a story about a nun like literally throwing him in a trash can and telling him that's because he's trash. I mean, that's every nun story I've heard <laughs> as far as them. The nuns were brutal. Yeah. Yeah, he skipped his high school graduation as a result. He got drafted into the army but then was declared unfit for service it seemed not super clear to me it seemed somewhat his behavior somewhat he had had like a concussion fairly recently from a motorcycle accident so he was 
A rebellious teen, it sounds like. He's just the ultimate bad boy. Yeah. (laughs) So he goes on to play in bands all around Asbury Park, New Jersey, in the mid to late 60s, and played in a band called Earth, along with many other bands. And in the beginning of the 70s is when he starts performing under his own name, where he gets attention from John Hammond. He auditions for him and who discovered bob dylan yeah and aretha franklin and leonard cohen billy holiday huge name in the industry uh signs him to columbia records in 1972 so that's all right they start just cranking out albums huh (laughs) yeah they put out his first album greetings from asbury park in 1973 And then this album also came out in 1973, The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle, which (laughs) I was, I felt really validated in this being a overlooked album when I was like reading biography.com and they had like headings for each, every single one of his albums down the line, except this album that they just kind of like mentioned in passing at the end of the thing for greetings from Asbury Park. <laughs> he accidentally dropped another album after the he first one. Another one, and, <laughs> and then he went on to make Born to Run. Why is this album so under wraps? Maybe because it's between Born to Run and, and Greetings from Asbury Park, like the debut and the big hit. Yeah, and I, I feel like erasing it is missing a crucial part of his development well and the first album was not a big hit um it was both that album and this album were highly critically acclaimed albums but neither of them sold well and this album didn't actually chart until 1975 when born to run became a huge hit and then his back catalog started charting as people kind of dug back and bought his other albums. I've seen this one for years and I never really knew what it was. I thought maybe it was a comp, but I never even bothered to look. I I hate to say that (laughs) now that I've heard it. It's like, wow, there's a lot here. It was, it took a few listens to eat because I wasn't expecting sprawling epics (laughs) to really wrap my head around some of these songs. And as you said, they're not the anthemic hooks that you, expect you know i've listened to born in the usa and tunnel of love a lot and yeah it's much more you have to pay attention to the lyrics and follow the song through these journeys this does sound like it could be the album title of a greatest hits compilation though i could see why you would have that mistaken impression yeah and it's a really generic cover too (laughs) yeah pensive look yeah you guys want to know the real story of why he's called the boss? Mm-hmm. Or what I think that's, is from some internet researching? That's what I'm here for. So the story that comes up over and over on the internet is that he got the name the boss because after the shows, they would give him the money and then he would give it out to his bandmates. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like... The, every single band has a person who does that and you don't call them the boss like that's just a normal thing like the promoter doesn't split the money up for the bands yeah so i was like what is the real story here 
and started digging around and I found this story that I think might be the case of they used to have a weekly band board game night of playing Monopoly and at these Monopoly game nights Bruce would bring a bunch of candy and sweet foods and they started calling him Gut Bomb King <laughs> which uh he did not like being called Gut Bomb King cuz that's a gross nickname <laughs> So he started calling himself the boss instead to kind of like overshadow that nickname. So he gave and himself that, this name? That's what I'm pretty sure is the case. And it seems like that story's mostly like covered up on the internet. But <laughs> this the was real from truth like a, uncovered on yeah, this episode. Yeah, bandmate. Wow. And he's a big Monopoly fan? Apparently. It, as was... Jackie DeShannon we established on our Jackie DeShannon episode and he covered Jackie DeShannon. Wonder if <laughs> yeah. they've ever played Monopoly against each other. Ooh. It's all-star Monopoly game. That would be interesting. Wait, yeah. what Jackie DeShannon did he cover? When you walk in the room. I don't know it. It's great. He does a, it it's funny. It's, it, her version sounds like a proto boss song. <laughs> and then uh, he okay. just, you know, takes it to the next level when he co- when he covers it. Yeah. And I think Boss caught on because he's he's got like a natural leader kind of persona, but he also from what I was reading runs his band. You know, it's it's a dictatorship. It's not a democracy. <laughs> like he calls the shots, he wants the parts how they are. And I don't say that negatively. You don't say dictatorship negatively. <laughs> no, I don't. Honestly, He's a good like, dictator, guys. <laughs> having played music for 20 years of my life now, that's the right way to do it. Like, I don't believe in democratic groups anymore. So I'm all behind that. Like, the person with the vision, they call the shots. This is what you connected to with Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> honestly, yeah. <laughs> When I read that, I was like, oh, hell yeah. He knew like early on that that's how you run a band. Like that's the real way to do it. Otherwise, you get all those bands like the ones we've talked about where like people are button heads and trying to be the main person. And he, yeah. he does have some long lasting members in the E Street Band. Although some of the players on this record weren't long for the E Street Band. True. <laughs> I don't know if we even planned on getting in to any of that so many places we can go with this artist speaking of which let's get to a song let's get to a song all right can we do sounds good can we do incident on 57th street we absolutely can do incident on 57th street that's that's my favorite one on the whole album hell yeah and that is side b track one Spanish Jones. 
storytelling on that song is fantastic it's so good like a handful but yeah i think yeah that song and or fourth of july asbury park are the two that really stand out on this album to me mm-hmm. yeah i would agree with that i like this track so much and it was also a brand new track uh all the other songs they had been working on for a while and this was the new one it was gonna be called uh, puerto rican jane but I, yeah, I think you can kind of hear that, that this one is a little bit different. And in a way, like I said earlier, it sounds like all the other tracks are kind of leading up to this gem. I love the story in this, um, the Romeo and Juliet. And it's kind of like this re- redemption feeling. And it's kind of tragic. Like, you know, tragedy is on the way, but he doesn't let you know the resolution of it. Of, of what's going to happen to this guy who is pimping his body. But yeah, the storytelling and the the imagery and the poetry is, is really beautiful and special on this track. I can imagine the few people who did buy this when it was released in 73, really, it's if they spent time with it, they probably felt they were in some kind of special club with this artist yeah yeah it's wild that well it's not that wild these aren't like super poppy songs but it's so good it's yeah that one jumps right out of the speakers the more it goes along yeah yeah but because it didn't sell well he was like on the verge of being dropped from columbia after this album john hammond and clive davis both had left Columbia at that point. So kind of the people who were in his corner, you know, John Hammond described Bruce as like one of the greatest talents he's ever heard. And when someone who's like signed all the famous people he has, that's uh, quite the compliment. But yeah, he would go into the studio for over a year to work on Born to Run. They apparently worked on just that song for like six months. <laughs> the title track? Yeah, Born to Run. <laughs> and Well, it, it showed, I mean, it, it paid off. It paid off because, <laughs> yeah, it blew up. Bruce got big. That's kind of when he broke through and why I think this is kind of overlooked because everything after this would get attention. He kind of had this pattern of like bouncing between super pop 
like rock and roll anthem albums followed by these like kind of folky downer storytellery albums and just kind of like vacillated between those through a lot of his career. Well, yeah, I mean, like Nebraska is followed up by Born in the USA, correct? Yeah. <laughs> and right after Born to Run was Darkness on the Edge of Town. So yeah. it's. And then yeah, you got to the river between them. So yeah, that, it just kept going up and down. Yeah. Yeah. I think he does a lot of whispering on this album, especially on that last track. Like it almost sounds like. It's just like it's like Bruce Springsteen ASMR or something like he's just like whispering <laughs> to you the story and, and what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild how developed he is vocally at this point. I mean, I guess he's been playing in bands for like almost a decade. But yeah, a lot of his vocal things that make him Bruce are like on full display here already, like fully developed. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, if anything, it, it seems like he just had to refine his songwriting a little bit or streamline it a little bit more at, at this point. But like he's developed as an artist yeah. already at this point. Yeah. So we don't really have time to get too far we're, into the rest of his we're, career. We're not going to talk about the rising or. <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll mention this does have kind of the the proto e street band in it uh clarence clemens who would go on to play tenor sax with him for a very long time uh, gary talent on bass still with him <laughs> gary talent yeah he's, yeah 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 mad dog vinnie lopez on drums not Ooh. long for the e street band after this yeah yep <laughs> and then you got Danny Federici playing accordion, organ, piano, a bunch of like piano type instruments. And David Sanchez also playing piano. He played the clavinet on that opening track. Mellotron, organ, also soprano sax though, and backing vocals. So they're okay, 4th of July, Asbury Park, uh, that track. The chorus is the sound engineer's wife, and it he originally wanted to have a children's choir, but they didn't show up, so then they just overdubbed uh, her vocals, but she wasn't credited. Oh, weird. Yeah, she is listed online now, Suki Lahav. Oh, okay, cool. But yeah, not not originally credited. And, Jer- and, and Jeremy Ruggles is forever grateful the children's choir did not show up. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> There's also Richard Blackwell on percussion and Al Tellone on baritone sax. So some of the players that would go on to play with him for many years, but... Yeah, not all, Yeah, but it was kind of the proto-E Street band. He, When he got his record deal, he went to the Jersey Shore where everybody's kind of playing in everybody's bands and just picked out like the best of each instrument. And that kind of became his his first backing band. <laughs> the boss has spoken. The boss has spoken and he's got a record deal with Columbia. So you listen. Doesn't he say that on Rosalito? Because the record company, Rosie, just gave me a big advance. <laughs> he does. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's right. Like the, like the peak of the song. <laughs> yeah, that always jumped out. 
It's like a very almost like a breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's a lot more to Bruce, but we're pretty much out of time talking about him. Uh, there's like a whole album's worth of songs from these recordings that you can find out there in like box sets or YouTube or whatever. So yeah, he he put the work. He was already putting the work in like crazy to have like two albums worth of material the same year as his debut album comes out. Sean, mm-hmm. did you happen to put together a list of recommended similar albums to this one? If and I will say, I just the other day was flipping through a recent arrivals Ben in a Kalamazoo record store and there was this for $5. So it's verifiably still inexpensive, common and underappreciated. But if people can't find this, did you put together some similar albums they can keep an eye out for? Yeah, I got a couple suggestions. This was initially surprisingly a little hard to think of stuff that I felt was similar enough. The first one stylistically is a little bit different, but it's a guy that often gets compared to Bruce, and then the album title especially makes sense. But Jackson Brown, For Every Man, from 1973. It's easy to find Jackson Brown stuff out there in the bargain bins. A little bit of working class vibe with him, too. Exactly. A little bit of a soul influence to it. There's some parallels. Next up, two records that we have covered previously the first one nils lofgren one plus one from 1971 grin yes nils lofgren slash the band grin and the last suggestion john fogarty self-titled from 1975 and we should probably also mention nils lofgren would go on to be in bruce's band later <laughs> yeah true he played with what both bruce and neil young yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's other bands that I could make the comparison to. Like, I definitely thought about the band from Canada, but really none of their good records are cheap. But I mean, there's, there's some stuff out there for sure. Also, I just wanted to say, like, Bruce is an interesting artist, especially in the context of value of albums and bargain bin. Because in my mind, he is one of the few artists from this time period of this level of fame whose records have not gone up in value as much as many of his contemporaries. And I feel like a lot of that is because of his political leanings. He's lost a lot of fans over the years from some of his more leftist political viewpoints and yet also maybe not gained enough new fans because there's still so many people out there who had similar opinions to our early opinions of like, oh, he's just the like, whatever, born in the USA guy. I don't need to care about Bruce. That's not for me. Mm -hmm. Bruce is for the people. He's the working man's poet. He's for the, he's, he's the liberal rock musician. We need to reclaim him. (laughs) You can go out there and get these records for cheap still. Get them while you can before people realize. From this podcast that this album's great. And then it it gets really expensive. (laughs) Yeah. This is going to now be the really rare find that the $30 record within a few months of this airing. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like Bruce Springsteen, but only Nebraska and the wild, the innocent and the E street shuffle. Going <laughs> <laughs> to at least tack one more onto that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's, yeah, I don't know. That's an opinion I could relate to, <laughs> but it sounds funny because no one says that. 
until now. Well, Samantha, yes, thanks again for finally getting us to talk the boss here. I mean, we we mentioned him so many times, and this was yeah. the right one. You, this was the right one to do. Thanks for having me. I went I went back and forth so much about um, if I should do this record or not, and it just it felt like the honest one and the one that I know well and feel strongly about. So thanks for having me and agreeing to do this. Excellent selection. While you're here, is there anything you would like to plug for our listeners to check out? The things that you're up to, the things you do? Yeah, um, you can check out my radio archives, Samantha WFMU, you search that. Um, My website is samanthajsimmons.com that has all my um, sound projects. And my Instagram is foods on my shirt. Yes. Great handle. Thanks. Based on the little bit of your former radio program on WFMU that I was able to check out on the archives at WFMU.org, I am surprised you have a such a wide variety of music that you played on there. I was seeing everything from funk to New Zealand Kiwi pop to experimental noise it it was all over the place yeah that's my thing so it's definitely yeah there's a lot to discover if people check out your former radio program which was simply called samantha you got it well what did you choose to go out on today what song did we want to hear as we exit this episode of i'd buy that for a dollar i think we should go out on the the one that kind of uh, preludes Born to Run and the big hit, Rosalita. Yeah, this is a fan favorite at his live shows. Yeah, I feel like I knew this song. This is the one song I feel, feel like I recognized when I checked this album out for the first time. I've done so much uh, kitchen dancing to this song. <laughs> it's such a great high energy catchy song and yeah it's it's the best uh glimpse of the bruce that is to come yeah i feel like you could do breaks with this song like the there's all these segments and like lead-ups very cool well thank you for honoring your east coast boardwalk nostalgia <laughs> bringing us this bruce album yeah thanks for having me this was fun excellent well i'm co-host jeremy I'm co-host Peter. I'm co-host Sean. And I'm Samantha.